Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. reading this morning comes from the second chapter of Mark's gospel. I'll read verses 13 through 17 and then skip to 21 and 22. Uh, This passage falls in a unit within the gospel that begins at the beginning of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 1, and goes through chapter 3, verse 6. And in this progression of stories in, in this unit, there develops increasing hostility toward Jesus. There's there's an awareness that he comes to reveal the kingdom of God, which is not the kingdom of us. It's not the kingdom of Tom, thanks be to God. But it's the way of God, and that means it's different, unsettling, and, and hostility emerges so that by the beginning of chapter 3, already there are thoughts that this man must be put to death. We kind of get at the heart of what some of that's about here in this reading in 2 verses 13 and following. So as we come to this passage, let us first join together in prayer. Gracious God, it is your word alone that is life for us. So we gather once again, expectant and hopeful that you will speak to us. We are here, O God. We are listening. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Listen to this. Jesus went out again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Skipping down, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old coat. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, and the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and so are the skins. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. When Jesus 
began his ministry, he called disciples. You remember he called James and John and Andrew and Simon, whose name was later changed to Peter. They dropped everything and they went with him. We, we talked about that story a few weeks ago. But Jesus has not finished calling. He sees Levi at the tax booth. This is the first we've heard of Levi, son of Alphaeus, but we've heard of tax collectors. So we know a bit about him. Uh, tax collectors were agents of the occupying Roman Empire. They were seen as unclean, even immoral. They were people of power. And it is not uncommon for people of power to use their power for their personal benefit, sometimes at the expense of others. It's true today. It was true then as well. We always have to be aware of our own power and how we exercise it. Some have enough power that they can take unfair advantage of others. In Jesus' time, tax collectors would fall in that category. They, they had freedom to determine how much tax you would pay, and they were known for overcharging and pocketing the difference. So tax collectors, they weren't good people. They were dishonest. They would cheat. Now, we don't know Levi. Maybe he was a good guy. But there's reason to view him with suspicion. He's a tax collector. But Jesus says to Levi, I want you to follow me. And when he does this, to use the language of the later metaphor, Jesus bursts some wineskins. I love that image. It teaches that the ways of Jesus don't fit into any culture easily, not without reordering, realigning, sometimes turning things upside down a bit. He's bursting wineskins because he's redefining what it is to be good. He's redefining what it is to be righteous, to be good. We all want to be good. And usually we think we are or would be different. But Jesus shows us a new understanding of what it is to be righteous. And it bursts some wineskins. Because he, he calls Levi. He tells Levi, come follow me because you belong with us. I don't know that anybody else who thought they were with Jesus would have agreed with that. He belongs with us. I'm not so sure. Now, again, we don't know Levi specifically. Maybe he was a good guy. Maybe he was not. And I think the ambiguity is the point. Because Jesus calls him either way. Jesus is redefining righteousness for his followers. It's not about being pure and fencing yourself off from impure folk. It's about being loving. It's about relationship with all. That's why Jesus not only calls Levi, but he eats with him. 
The text says they eat at Levi's house, and that makes sense. But in the Greek, it's just his house. So we don't really know if it's Levi's house or Jesus's house where they dine. We don't know, therefore, who's the host and who's the guest. And once again, the ambiguity may be the point because host and guest is a statement of status. Jesus isn't interested in any of that. Wherever it happens, they're eating together, and that's not supposed to happen. Now, perhaps we should ask ourselves, why would they care? Why would we care who Jesus eats with? What difference does that make? Well, I want to suggest two things that we take away from this meal that is shared. One is it complicates how we think about bad folk. And the other is it complicates how we think about good folk. It suggests that the bad folks are never completely bad and, and good folks are never quite as good as we think. When I was a kid, my neighbor was Danny Martin, and he was a year or so older than me, but in, in the backyard he had a, a tree in his backyard that kind of grew large enough it provided some shade in our yard as well. It was right next to a chain-link fence there. And in that shared tree, we built a tree house. It was pretty, it was pretty rustic, pretty rudimentary, but we built a little tree house. And at the, at the door to the tree house was stated the one rule of the tree house, no girls allowed. We both had sisters. I had one, he had two, and we considered girls in general and sisters in particular a creation flaw. No girls allowed, we said. Then Helen Walters moved in down the street, and one afternoon she stopped her bike in Danny's driveway, and she said, what are you guys doing? We said, we're going to our treehouse. And she said, can I come? And I was about to cite the rule when Danny said, sure. <laughs> he let her in the treehouse. Afterwards, I said, why did you do that? He said, I don't know. <laughs> he broke the code. It kind of burst my wineskins. It did. Are you following me? They didn't think Jesus should eat with Levi because Levi, he wasn't a good guy. Now, you're supposed to be civil to him. You're supposed to be polite because all that civility kind of reveals your superiority. It reveals this is how we treat people who are lesser. But civility is never confused with equality. We don't really belong to one another. Jesus messes with all of that. 
Jesus eating with Levi complicates how we see Levi, but first it complicated how his followers understood themselves. To say it again, Levi is not as completely evil as they assumed, and they are not quite as good as they believed. My, my son is, is back in school, and he's studying science chemistry and microbiology and anatomy and a whole list of classes that would have me racing to the registrar's office before drop ad day so that I could change it for a class that would have a metaphor in it. Last week, I asked him to talk to me about what he's studying. He said, well, today we talked about, just a minute, about the ribosomal road in cellular protein synthesis. And then he talked about that for the next five minutes, and I listened. But the truth is, the only part I understood was when he said, today we talked about. After that, I was completely lost. But it reminded me of how exciting and stressful school is. Exciting because you're learning and stressful because you're learning. The next day, I read about the apparent organized attack on historically black colleges and universities, bomb threats against 14 of them made on the first day of Black History Month. Most of these colleges and universities were created after the Civil War when most colleges and universities still closed their doors to people of color. Most of these... HBCUs have throughout their history endured threats and violence. It's not new. Of course, other institutions have had bomb threats as well. There are hundreds every year, I read. But the FBI has said that these threats happen apparently because of racial motivation in other words, it's not just an occurrence, but one more, one more event in a long pattern of American culture. Uh, Wayne Frederick, the president of Howard University in D.C., he said, it takes courage to do what we do, but it's never been more important. He says, the work is important because all of us, all of us need more people of color as politicians and doctors and judges and business owners And he sounded kind of proud when he said that Howard has sent more African-Americans into STEM PhDs over the last two decades than Stanford, Harvard, MIT, and Yale combined. But I remembered my conversation with my kid. And these are college students, kids like yours and mine, who should be encouraged to study, should be encouraged to succeed, but once again, someone doesn't want them to succeed. Someone says you don't belong. They go to class under a cloud of potential violence, so I'm, I've been praying this week for students of our nation, for children of other parents who don't feel safe. Now, I I know there's some who say we need to stop talking about race. Just pretend it's not a thing or, or 
assume that racism is something we've grown out of because we don't practice it the same way we did 30 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 200 years ago or forever. We say if we don't talk about it and make sure that our children don't learn about it, it'll go away. I just don't think that's true. I just don't. We don't grow by ignoring what's true. We don't find the good by pretending the bad isn't there. We don't grow by refusing to allow our neighbor to tell her own story and rather insisting that we control the narrative. No, every follower of Jesus knows this. No matter how much progress we've made, and we have, goodness knows we have, but no matter how much progress we've made, we're not home yet. We have not reached God's promised day, so we've got some growing to do. I think that's a good thing. I think we should all want that, to be better tomorrow than we were yesterday. But sometimes that requires our wineskins being burst open a bit. It may, be, it may require that we be open to the idea that we're not as righteous as we thought, that the ways of God may not fit easily into our cultural patterns, that newness is possible, even expected and desired. Jesus burst their wineskins because he showed them that they needed some self-awareness, that righteousness is never something we have. It's always something we pursue. Am I making any sense to you? Jesus burst their wineskins because he showed the good folk we're never completely good, but why wouldn't we want to be? But he also shocked them by how he welcomed folks that everyone agreed were not good people. Everyone agreed they were not good people. They didn't belong to us. I was in high school and I went with my dad who led a group on a tour of Israel. Our tour guide was a Christian who grew up in Bethlehem. His name was Mustafa. He was funny as he could be, and we hit it off. It's, we went to Bethlehem, his hometown. There was a particular cafe that he wanted us to have lunch at because he said his mother uh, was the cook there. When, when we arrived, I saw something that I had never seen in, not in person, I had never seen it. I got out of our vehicle and there was, I mean, it was crowded, it was crowded, but there was a man who had kind of found a spot between a couple of cars, and he had a mat down on the ground, and he was bowing down to the ground and praying. He's Muslim. It was time for noontime prayer. But I was stopped in my tracks. I'm not proud of this. I was stopped in my tracks because in my teenage faith mind, I was asking, does God hear his prayers? 
He's not Christian like us. We're in Bethlehem, for goodness sakes, where Jesus was born. Who, who is he praying to, really? Mustafa must have seen me because when I got in the cafe, he called me over. He said, Tom, remember, I want, I want you to meet my mother, who's the cook here, and I want you to meet my brother. He's a, he's a doctor here in Bethlehem, and while I'm mom's favorite, he's still a pretty good guy. I, I want you to meet my brother, and he, his brother came and sat down. It was the guy that had been praying out by the cars. He, they talked to one another, and then the guy who had been praying, I wish I could remember his name, I don't. He said, I'm going to order for you because you, this is the best place to get a, a real Palestinian meal. And we talked. And Mustafa was Christian. I was, admittedly, not a very mature one. And Mustafa's brother was Muslim, and they clearly loved each other. And we were all at a cafe eating together, you know, not very far from where Jesus was born. He kind of burst my wineskins. Stretched me a bit. But I think Jesus would have been very pleased. He might have been at the table with us. It's pretty easy to tell ourselves that others are not worthy or equal to us. I know we don't say that out loud. We don't even think we think it. But it's, it's as common as no girls allowed. We're pretty good at building a fence, making a wall, drawing a line. But as soon as we draw that line, Jesus is going to be on the other side of the line, and he's going to be eating with everyone and anyone. And he's leaving a place for us. There's a chair always there for us. Now, look, I don't know if Levi was a cheat or not. I don't know if he was honest or not. I think that's the point. We just know Jesus still saw him as God's child and worthy of grace. And he gave his life to bring that to the surface. The thing about Jesus, he'll eat with anybody. It's not that he can't see that which is broken in us. He can and he does. It's just that Jesus doesn't define us by what's wrong with us. No one is defined by the worst in them. No, he treats everyone like they're loved by God because that's actually what righteousness looks like. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe, help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.